Hey, thanks for being with us. Um, this is Chris with uh, uh, one of the pastors here on staff at Vista Community Church, another episode of Conversations for the City. Uh, I have a couple of special guests with me, and they're always special with every one of these episodes, but uh, to my right, I've got uh, Officer James Fuqua, and uh, to my left, I've got Officer Kiara Husband, uh, both with the Columbus Police Department, uh, both uh, beyond just uh, being police officers that have different uh, responsibilities within the department, uh, serving our city. And uh, maybe the biggest reason why I asked both of them to be here is that um, they are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I know that they have a kingdom mindset for the sake of our city, and that's what this channel is all about. Uh, we're going we're gonna to run right into this dialogue really quickly, but um, just for the sake of introductions, uh, I'm going to start with Kiara, actually. If you could just tell us a little bit about who you are and, and uh, how you became a police officer and, and, and all that good stuff. Hi, okay, I'm Officer Kiara Husband. I've been on CPD for 10 years, about 10 years now. Um, I'm from Columbus. I graduated from Reynoldsburg High School and then got my undergrad from Ohio State and then went on to get my um, used tuition reimbursement to get my master's while I was on the division, actually, from the University of Cincinnati. I'm, I'm a mother, I'm an aunt, I'm a daughter. Multi-talented is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. I grew up military brat. Both my parents were in the military um, and have since retired. And uh, before I became a police officer, I still was in public service. I was a parole officer for the state for five years before I decided. Actually, it was real random. Um, they were doing major budget cuts within the division of DRC. And uh, my sister randomly told me, she's like, CPD is hiring open application. And I told her, I said, I don't want to be anybody's police officer. So my story isn't as glamorous as you may think. I was like, I'm not trying to be the police. So before it ended, like a couple days, I applied kind of on a whim and I made it through the process. And then I found out I was, I mean, it had just so happened when I was getting laid off from the state due to budget cuts. So I always say it was meant for me to be here. All right, right. And then I was in the class that following year. Perfect timing is what it sounds like. Yeah. For, for all those acronyms you just heard, that's what Google's for. So we'll just go past <laughs> that. All right. And then uh, there's this guy. Yeah, so Department of Rehabilitation of, and Corrections? Is yes, that right? yes. Was that one of the acronyms? Yeah, I think I said ODRC. My yeah, bad. that's what I was thinking. I just wasn't sure. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again for having us. We really appreciate it. Um, like you said before, my name is James Fuqua. I've been on the department for 16 years, and I also am a son, a father, a husband, I like to fancy myself as a good bowler, but that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I also grew up in Columbus, um, grew up on the South side in the early nineties where it was really rough. Um, the drug problem was really, really bad. I'm a product of a single parent household, mm -hmm. the oldest of four. And you know, my mother worked multiple jobs to, to keep the lights on and we moved many times over. So it was hard. It was, it was a hard upbringing, but I made it through, and I'm very fortunate for that. I'm a graduate of South High School, so Bulldog forever. You know, us Southsiders, we really take a lot of pride in, in that Bulldog. And um, I was not quite mature enough for college yet, so I went the military route first and uh, spent a couple years in the United States Army. And then once I got out of the Army, I got a part-time job. And um, at this part-time job working security, I met a couple of police officers who worked extra duty at this retail store. And to be honest, I didn't have the best relationship with police officers growing up. And these officers were really, really nice. And, and I constantly would talk to them and say, why are you guys so nice? Because the interactions I had with officers growing up were not very good. 
And um, that's where I met for the first time an officer by the name of Alan Blackman, who coincidentally literally just retired from CPD after 32 years of service oh, wow. last week that uh, I had never even met a black officer before. Like, I knew there were some in Columbus, but I really just didn't see them in my neighborhood. So he was the first one that really showed me that, you know, someone that looked like me because he had the same upbringing as I did that could do the job. And uh, he said, oh, you should do a ride along. I think you'd be really good at the job. And I said, no way. I'm not riding in the back seat of a cop car. I've been in the back already. Yeah, right. Many times over, I'm not getting back there again. And he said, no, a ride along, you actually ride in the front and you go wherever the officer goes and sees what he or she sees. And I said, huh, didn't realize that was even a thing. So uh, I ended up going on a ride along on the night shift in the same area where I grew up and totally fell in love with it. And I realized just like any other profession, most of the people in that profession are really good and passionate about what they do, mm -hmm. but one or two can really ruin the reputation of everyone else. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was uh, kind of how I got there. And uh, I know we'll get into that a little bit more later, but yep. that's kind of the synopsis. Wow. That's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Um, I didn't know about the, the bowling thing. Yes. I knew that you're, uh, you know, hardcore into like hot wings. Yes. You know, I discovered yes. that pretty quickly. <laughs> it, not well, at all. I am, but my stomach is not into it anymore. Well, I'm, 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 I mean, a I'm not passing any judgment, but it was like disappointingly, uh, I was kind of hoping you'd man up when we had wings, but <laughs> that's totally neither here out. nor there. What about, are you into hot wings? I am actually. Roosters is one of me and my son's go-to spots. It's actually yeah. it's kind of sad how much we go there. Okay. Um, yeah, I get five buffalo barbecue mix. It's my standard. So can... call officer husband for hot yeah. wings. Yes. Not okay. Got yes. it. All right. All right. Let's <laughs> let's let's switch a gear here. Uh, you just kind of started to segue uh, into maybe a more obviously a much more uh, serious subject. I I have a, a very open-ended question here on this piece of paper. It just says. Uh, what was it like being a police officer in 2020? Uh, obviously, all of us are still talking about last year. Uh, it's almost like we can't talk about 2021 without talking about 2020 and, and all the different experiences that people had. But um, beyond just uh, the fact that you are law enforcement officers, but people of faith, uh, people of color, a man, a woman, uh, just being in that space, trying to serve and protect our city. Um, what do you want to share about that experience? What do you want people to hear about your story, your thoughts, your feelings along the way through uh, 2020? Okay. Well, I'll definitely defer to ladies first because you have some pretty unique stories from that opening weekend. Um, 2020 was just interesting altogether. When the major event happened, first COVID hit and kind of readjusted how everybody does their jobs. And then we had the big event in, in May where my job keeps me at the academy a lot. And whether or not you were in patrol or you were on the street, it didn't matter where you worked in the division, we all got notified one day, you're not going home. Mm -hmm. And so I typically work the day shifts, you're not going home. Um, put on, find your riot gear, put on your uniform. And I remember the night before when I was watching the news and I was seeing my fellow officers, a couple of them who I knew personally, just getting braided and dealing with it downtown. I was on my couch and almost just wanted to go down there and help. Like, I, I wanna do something. So when that Friday happened and ended up being at work from eight o'clock in the morning until 2 a.m. Saturday morning, and then being told on Saturday, 
you will be back at work the next day, which is mm -hmm. typically my day off. Um, so it was that, that initial weekend when the protests started happening big time. And then a lot of it was as a black officer, even my coworkers who were, who were not black recognized, recognized how we were catching it a little bit harder. Folks mm -hmm. were literally walking up to my face, calling um, me a traitor and Uncle Tom. Um, I can't believe you would do your people like this. How do you work for this division? Mm -hmm. So um, I had I had multiple coworkers call and text me just randomly who weren't even there to witness it to say, are you OK? Yeah. Um, when yeah. we were dealing with all that. So it was just 2020 was a very interesting time period um, as a as a teacher of community diversity within the division. We've addressed that in the classes and even just shown this is not what happened. Like he said, one or two bad apples can put a tarnish on the whole on the whole profession. And I work 99% of the people in this division and this profession are amazing and I love them and they are, I mean, we are writers. Um, if you put out a call for help, we're running. I don't care who you are, even if I don't like you. And it's just a shame, not a shame, but it's unfortunate the reputation that has been developed because I know so many who will bend over backwards for people they know, people they don't know and strangers. So. Yeah, 2020 has been interesting, yeah. and it's still ongoing, and it didn't end quickly. It lasted through the summer. Yeah. It lasted with um, substations trying to be taken over. It, Yeah, it's still kind of ongoing. <clears throat> yeah. We'll be driving in a cruiser, and you'll just randomly get fingers you don't want mm -hmm. shown to you. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, can you identify with anything in that story? Oh, absolutely. So first starting with 2020 as a whole. It was difficult in the fact of, I've said many times over, that 2020 can be defined by the three Ps. Mm -hmm. We had politics, we had the pandemic, and we had protests. Mm -hmm. And regardless of where your political affiliation is in this country, I, in my 41 years of existence, have never seen a more divisive time in our nation due to politics and, you know, the previous president that we had said so many things that were so divisive. For example, we're still dealing with it today in recent events with uh, him calling it the China virus or the Kung flu and just these very aggressive words and, and tones that give people the license to think it's okay to say and do racist things that only complicates all of this, right? So Regardless of whether you are pro-Trump, anti-Trump, pro-Democrat, anti-this, left-right, doesn't matter. Our country was faced with an incredible task of dealing with politics and forcing people to, quote-unquote, pick a side. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. us as officers had to struggle with, internally, some people let, being honest, their personal preference on politics affect how they do their job. So not only now are we dealing with internal conflict, trying to help our fellow brothers and sisters and go out and protect each other. Now some people are bringing their personal opinions, which should not be happening in this job to work and making it divisive from the inside out, making the job even more difficult. Mm -hmm. So then you transition into the pandemic. March of last year, all of our worlds changed forever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we were tasked with, being the mask police, where the governor finally put an order out, but there are things that were not illegal. And we even struggled understanding the differences on some of the things we could and could not do. So 
it was so incredibly hard to be a police officer and go out and do our job because now the politics and then on top of that, the pandemic with masks and social distancing and all these words we've never used before are now been forced into our lexicon. And now we're doing things other than just truly protecting and serving people. So then May 25th, the world changed forever by the unfortunate death of, of George Floyd. And again, I don't care where you stand and what expertise you have in law enforcement, no human being should ever take another human being's life for over eight and a half minutes with their knee on his neck. I'm not saying that that officer wasn't intentional in trying to kill him because I don't believe in his heart he was trying to do that. Mm -hmm. However, there are several other officers standing around that should have done something. Mm -hmm. They absolutely should have stopped him because I can sit here honestly and say as an officer, and she can say, that we've had bad days. And mm -hmm. we've had days where a suspect has taken us to that point because we're human, where we could potentially go too far. And that's why we have teammates to tap us out and say, hey, you know, pull yeah. back, we got this. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that didn't happen. And now because of that, the entire world changed. Never in the history of policing did an entire global world of everyone from countries that I would have never imagined would have protested police, police brutality were engaged in that. And then on May 28th here locally is when our lives changed. Like for me, that Thursday night, May 28th, I'll never forget it because it was that morning a lot of people forget uh, one of our tactical officers was conducting a search warrant on the north side of town and was shot by the suspect as they were making entry and he almost lost his life. Mm. So my day started very early that day being the public information officer to get information out. So not only was that complicated that we were afraid that he wasn't going to live, but then secondly, that was when our inner politics changed where um, uh, BCI, the Bureau of Criminal Investigations, started doing our critical incidents. So any officer-involved shooting, that was the first case where they came in and investigated it because typically we would do our own. So that was challenging in and of itself. So you fast forward throughout the day, the protests got bigger and bigger and bigger. And like Kiara said, everyone started getting called in. Like even myself, after being at work from seven in the morning till roughly 10 at night, I went home and within 20 minutes, I was called back saying, hey, it's really bad. We need you to come back. Yeah. And that opening weekend, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I don't even know how this is mathematically possible, but I worked 65 of 72 physical hours where I didn't even go home. Like I literally just slept in my office for like an hour here, an hour there over three days because the protests were so overwhelming. And to be clear, we get it as officers, right? We understand why people were protesting. We understand why people were upset. Mm -hmm. But there's a clear and distinct difference between protesting for rights and people going too far and now looting, rioting, and being disruptive and, and committing illegal acts. And I think that's where a lot of people struggled with this and mm -hmm. didn't understand the difference. And that's what made our job so hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I was called the N-word more times in that weekend than I have in my entire career. Yeah. And sadly, it was mostly like people who look like us calling us traitors and uh, Uncle Toms and porch monkeys and all these things. And it's like you talk about you want equality, you talk about you want police reform, 
you talk about you want the police department to look like your community, but yet you have these people on the line in our face calling us all these names saying we're a traitor. So I don't understand the imbalance there. But Mm -hmm. the point is, it's been really tough. And it's definitely officers with 30 plus years on who have been around forever. Retired guys who have been retired and was working in the 50s and 60s were reaching out to me personally and saying they have never seen a harder year in law enforcement ever in their life. So I think mm-hmm. bar none, by the time our career is over, we will have never seen a year like 2020. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that we're trying to uh, investigate, not not just in the space of um, the, the space that you live in, but um, as, a, as a pastor and as just a voice for ministry in our city, uh, and, and I, I run the risk of painting with too broad of a brushstroke here, but my personal feeling about 2020 from the perspective of church leadership, if I could frame it that way, was it was largely disappointing. Um, our, our entire call as Christians, and I know you guys agree with this, is that we're supposed to be unified under the banner of Christ. We belong to Jesus, and, and, and he sends us out to serve and protect. Really, and, and for all of us, that's, that's the mandate as Christians. Um, but 2020 revealed so many things that I, I don't know how long it's going to take to unpack and understand, but a, a, a church that is not united a voice that is not united, a voice that sacrificed its ability to serve and to love. There was so much infighting happening within the church, and um, it was heartbreaking. Couldn't it was just it was stunning to see it happen when the the world was breaking around us. We had such a huge opportunity to stand up and serve and love, and in many regards, we let the opportunity go by, um, and we're carrying some of that with us into 2021. So we're trying to figure that out. And I know that the story of law enforcement, especially believers that are behind the badge, it was a particularly painful story that largely went untold. And um, maybe one of my biggest uh, disappointments, because I have friends that are in law enforcement, um, I would hear their pain, I would hear their grief, and you actually said something over the hot wings you weren't eating um, <laughs> that, that really, it, it just broke my heart all over again. You said there were two majorly toxic spaces for you in 2020. One was social media, which is, I feel like kind of a no-brainer. I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody that, uh, if they're being honest, they would describe social media as a particularly healthy space to be in. So I got that one. But when you said that the church had become toxic, I, I mean, you, what do we, what do we do and say about that? Yeah, it's tough, right? Uh, as a believer and as a Christian, it was so disappointing for me personally to see that so many people in the church had lost their way. And I don't mean one church specific. To be clear, I don't care what denomination you are, what church you go to, what age group. Many Christians and many faith-based people really kind of turned their back on the Word and what's actually in the book. And it was scary to see so many people in my life who are have never wavered from their faith, lost their faith. And it was really sad trying to bring them back in and really explain to them from a biblical perspective some of the things that they could do to lean on their faith and trust in the Lord and all these other things. And yet, so many spaces, they just kind of gave up. 
And um, I, I never thought being a Christian that I would see the amount of people that would f- basically wilt to the devil's power and just give up and say, basically, I don't know what to think anymore, or Jesus is coming tomorrow. I'm not sure what exactly was in their mind, mm-hmm. but it was very, very toxic space where they, instead of going out and helping people and trying to uplift even people within their own congregation, they kind of turned their back on them. And that that's a scary thing. I think, well, um, I've been in the church my whole life. I was one of those people who even, I remember back in high school, I was like, I think I'm at this church six out of the seven my parents oh, are one wow. of those people and even growing up the old revival where you're just trying to take offering and the pastor turns it into a 30 minute or a 30 minute sermon <laughs> you're like you're like really anyway yeah but um i think in the year of covid when when you weren't able to meet yeah. you know the bible says where two or three are gathered gathered that's where you have a church service but even that Amen. wasn't happening and so um People stopped having that connection. I tried. I admit I was one of them. I tried to get up on Sundays and sit at the table with my laptop and my mom's trying to encourage me to log on to their church in South Carolina, which I did. And even I fell off a little bit. But I just think it was hard for, for people to maintain that focus when they weren't actually able to go to the house of worship yeah. and have those meetings in that congregation um, and fellowship with each other. So as a believer, I see that. And like he said, there are some people even before COVID where the church is supposed to be a place where you can go for support. And when you feel like you don't have that support, even though you don't want to, you turn your back on it as a whole. You may still believe in God and you understand the word, but the actual people in the church have become, can be the most judgmental at times when you don't want them to. You're like, I want your support. I don't need your judgment. Mm-hmm. So um, because we all fall short, like, my issue is probably cussing. I think I probably drop one or two more than I should. So we all have shortcomings um, that we have to work through. And so when you feel like you're getting that judgment instead of support, yeah. um, that's that's hard. So even as we enter, you talked about um, as we enter social media, like as we enter this season where a lot of people are doing the 40 day fast, regardless of what your religion is. I mean, I know you're not supposed to talk about it openly, but in this forum, like one, I always try to pick social media as mine that I fast from, not try, I've done it. Cause you can, you can kill a lot of time yeah, for um, sure. on these social media sites. And then also I try to look at it as not what you give up, but maybe what you can also do. So even though I haven't been the best at it outside of it, but this one I try to devote every day, sit down and do my devotional. So I try to maintain that word and that connection and have that moment in your life where you are just turn your phone off. It doesn't matter if it's just 10 or 15 minutes and you can focus and meditate on God's word and then try to start your day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a personal, yeah, for me. Yeah. And 2020 was obviously yeah. really tough for all those things that are really deeply important to you. Yes. I mean, I, I think you're speaking on behalf of a lot of people with those things that you just expressed and uh, amongst a, a, a whole ton of things that 2020 kind of unraveled and disrupted, mm-hmm. you know, those types of core values really got undermine would you say that was kind of your feeling as well oh absolutely and i could not agree more on the fact that when she brought up so many people had a difficult time with covid and the lack of having the ability to gather in a corporate setting for worship Mm -hmm. that even the most hardcore believers got a little too comfortable with, oh, well, now I don't have to get up. I don't have to get dressed. I can just pop up my tablet and I can watch and I can still tithe and I'm still whatever and it's all good. And then as 
we started to evolve back into bringing people back into places of worship, there were still a lot of people who were like, well, now I've kind of gotten comfortable with this. And I know the Lord knows that I believe in my heart that I should just still be there, but I'm going to be here for safety of the others. And that's a very dangerous precedent, a dangerous place for faith-based people to go. So in other words, I can't tell you as a, a believer what's in your heart and what you should and should not be doing. Mm-hmm. But it was readily apparent to me, like I said, just from people I know personally who went from doing it for the right reasons, staying home, staying out of the corporate setting to, oh, now it's just a matter of convenience. And um, as believers, we, we've got to get back on fire. We've got to get that love and, and really appreciate every breath that we have right now and, and attribute that to the Lord and no one else because anything can be taken away from you in a second. You know, like I said, personally, I talked about losing my father-in-law to COVID, who I was very close with. Um, I lost my father when I was 12 to suicide. And we talked a bit about that before, Mm -hmm. that he had a lot of mental health issues that, Mm -hmm. quite frankly, in the black community, mental health is one of those subjects we're afraid to tackle. Uh, The the classic is, oh, just pray on it and just have Jesus help you. And and that's fine. But also understand that it's also okay to talk to a licensed therapist or a counselor and other avenues and in our culture, sometimes we just don't want to acknowledge that. Yeah. And um, like I said, losing my father-in-law was huge because me not having a father growing up, I really modeled a lot of how I parent my children through him. So it was very disappointing in losing him. So my overall point in all of that is some people hid behind, well, I don't want to go to the church because there's elder people, elderly people there and I don't want to get them sick or potential exposure. The bottom line is, as faith-based believers, we all need to get back to what's important. And what's in Mm -hmm. that book is important. The corporate setting and and worshiping together is important. And we cannot let the outside influences bring us down as believers. Let me me ask you this. Um, You talked about getting back to this as our source of truth. Um, You talked about uh, being able to engage in community together. Uh, I think you, you kind of started to point towards um, the need for that in terms of safety and being amongst your family, uh, a faith family, if I could put it that way. Um, and, and I don't want to make you relive uh, particularly painful stories in relation to uh, your respective church communities, but you know, when we were having lunch and you used the word toxic, um, what, that it, what that indicated to me is the things that you needed uh, from your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you weren't receiving in one way or another, whether they meant to or not. And in the midst of a world that is incredibly divided, um, if you could give some specific examples of something that you emotionally, relationally needed from, and I'm not asking you to single out any particular church or community, but just from the family of God, uh, broadly speaking, uh, and and you didn't receive that in 2020, which I imagine was incredibly painful. Um, what comes to mind when I ask you a question like that? Um, I um, I guess one thing is the count, not counseling, but. I'm a venter. Like when I'm going through something, I'm one of those people who likes to call up a friend who I can trust. Yeah. And 
and you weren't really able to do that. And sometimes you want that face-to-face. -face. I don't want to do it over FaceTime or over the phone. I want to be able to sit down and talk to you, and you weren't able to do that, even with someone who comes from a biblical perspective, because I can, I don't, I agree. We need, it's okay to go to a licensed therapist who's not maybe coming from a faith base, but it's also okay if you want to go to somebody who can come from a faith base. And I've done, and both of them are equally important. I've met several Christians who decided, okay, I don't want someone who's just going to go to a Bible verse and tell me to pray about it. I need somebody who's going to give me some practical, you know, verify, or what do you call it? Um, scientific stuff. They yeah, want right, some right. science behind it. But that for me was what was lacking. It's just the, the face-to-face -face interaction and the praise and worship. I love praise and worship. I still, I'm the one who has like the Mississippi Mass Choir. We'll still listen to the old <laughs> stuff because my dad, he was always a choir person. So I still love the praise and worship and the um, the Greens and um, not the Green. His last name is Green. That's the artist's last name. I like and Greens too, though. That too. And I remember when I, in a summer internship, I worked in New York City and I got to meet Kirk Franklin. And uh -huh. I think I was the only person at the at the place who was, I was like, Kirk Franklin is coming and <laughs> radical. And they're like, it's a gospel choir. I said, it's Kirk Franklin. Yeah, right. So um, not having that praise and worship was big for me. Cause yeah. yeah, I could be that goofy person jamming in the car and you don't know that I have a gospel choir playing. So not having that yeah. was for, yeah. So you didn't have, um, at least at the time, you didn't have a safe place where you could just vent, just be a person and get stuff off your mm -hmm. chest. And then come and bring the religious aspect and somebody who was comfortable to pray about it. I probably don't have as many friends as I should who, when you're going through something, be like, well, I mean, I do want to pray about it, but who are comfortable doing that? Yeah. Yeah. And without, without judgment. Yes. They're just, and that's huge. They're just loving on you. Cause when you really start to hear people's stories, especially as a police officer, mm -hmm. um, you realize everybody's going through something in mm -hmm. the church, out of the church. Um, can I talk to you and not be judged? So yeah. I want, I don't, I don't need savior judgment. I just want you to, I don't even know if I want your advice. I just want you to hear me and somebody to say that I hear you. You're touching on something I've heard in other conversations and, and the way I would describe it is maybe because of, of what's happening in the world around us and by virtue of you being a, a law enforcement officer, suddenly the, we forgot that you're a human being that you're just another person that has the same emotional and relational needs as the rest of us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so I, I, that story that you just shared, I, I've heard that from other people too. Mm -hmm. um, what about you? Well, wow, it's hard to follow that up. I mean, that, that's, that was an incredible example. Uh, one of the things going back to it in terms of a, a working part that bothered me the most where I didn't have the ability to have a safe space was there were many people within the, the, I'll just say this, like you said, without saying names, there are many faith-based people who would come to us for our, our advice on, you know, what do we think of the protests and, the, and all the things involved in it. And, you know, we would offer our professional opinion. And um, the thing that bothered me the most about Christians was I would hear them say, well, the officer was just trying to detain him and he wasn't listening and he had a previous arrest record and he had drugs in his system and he was high and he was drunk and all these things. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. I cannot believe as a Christian, you would, you're literally judging this man for whatever he was going through before that interaction with that officer. 
is irrelevant. What's relevant is you have a human being pleading for their life, calling mm -hmm. out for his dead mother. And we all know in faith circles, when people start calling out for people who are no longer with us, they know they're about to die. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he did that, and there were so many faith-based people who were okay with justifying his death and defending the officer really kept me up at night. There were so many sleepless nights that I literally went to bed in tears because I could not understand how you could be a man or woman of God and sit and victim blame what has happened to Mr. Floyd. Again, do I agree with his lifestyle or some of the choices he made? Of course not, but we're all human. We all commit sin. We all have to find a way to atone for our sins and, and, just the fact that so many people, again, kind of going back to the counseling that I would go to, that I would be comfortable just in a safe space with, I couldn't even go to them because now to me, when they're explaining that they're def kind of defending it, not necessarily um, saying that it was okay, but my point is like your thought process as a Christian is crazy. You should not be talking about all the issues that he had leading up to his death. Yeah. So um, it, it, it honestly, even for me, like Kiara said, for a lot of my faith based community that I would lean on for help in a safe space, I had to pull away from and kind of go the secular route of finding people that um, would be more open minded and honest that I know traditionally doesn't even have a faith based background. So, so is it fair to say uh, maybe as a little bit of a translation of what you just said? Um, that fellow believers uh, forgot what was basic to our faith, the value of a life, for example, exactly. and instead approached dialogue with you. And, and irrespective of what dialogue's happening out there, they approached it with some type of a, an agenda or judgment or system of the world, yes. if I could put it that way. You're spot on. And so we forgot really where we're supposed to start and we started in the wrong place. And and as far as I know, if you start in the wrong place, you're probably going to end up in the wrong place. I mean, that's probably typically how it works out. Um, and, and you could almost erase the subject and swap out the subject with anything in politics or anything in culture and society. Is it fair to say if you're starting with the world, uh, the, the thinking and the feelings of the world first, you're not going to end in a place where fellowship and our faith stays intact and unified. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yes, you're, I couldn't agree more. And I think that this entire conversation we're having really is, that is the center point of why we are where we are today. Okay. I want you to hold on to that thought. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll, we'll come right back and I'm going to switch a gear with you because, well, I'll say that. I'll say that for you when we come back. All right, welcome back. Um, I just wanted to reiterate two particular points that you guys shared with us. Um, and if I could call out a particular listener, if, if you identify as a Christian, I really want you to hear this. Um, your brothers and sisters that are law enforcement officers or civil servants of any kind, remember that they are real life people, just like you. They have a heart, they have a mind, they have feelings, they have emotions. They need healthy relationships just like you. 
so when you see a police officer, do not see just a badge. See a fellow human being. And then uh, we ended, uh, before we took a break, we ended on a very, very important point. If you start a conversation with somebody and you're starting with an agenda, a slogan, a headline, a whatever from the world, that conversation begins in divisiveness. It is not a conversation that's going to become one that unifies people. We have to start from a kingdom perspective. We have to start and lead with the humility of a Christian who needs a savior. We have to lead with that kind of humility, not this platform or posture of I'm right and so I'm going to judge you because of whatever veneer I want to judge you against. Um, so I want to say something to both of you that uh, I don't know if, if you've heard this before, so just kind of take it with a grain of salt, but uh, I, I personally view each of you as fellow ministers, fellow pastors, fellow shepherds for the sake of our city. The reason I say that is I know that the, 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 the catchphrase for your job is to protect and serve. That's really not any different than someone uh, who God has called and appointed over his people to protect and serve. And that's what you do. You do that every day. You lay your lives on the line. You, you submit yourself to a world that may or may not love you, may or may not recognize the sacrifice that you make. But that is the nature of a shepherd of God's people. And the fact that you're both believers, the weight of that, the gravity, the importance of that is huge. So, so as a pastor, I actually look to your leadership in this space. Like it blows me away what you guys do. And I don't know if you've ever looked in the mirror and saw a shepherd of God's people, but that's what you are. And I know, I know we're, we're, we're running out of time because your job's never over. Um, but as a shepherd of God's people, how would you lead and shepherd? What would you advise? What would you say as a disciple? If you're gonna, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, I want you to think and consider upon these things. I want you to pray about these things. I want you to submit your life to these things. What would you say to God's people? I might steal Sarge's answer, but because um, he kind of brought it up in a previous. We probably can't hear it enough. Because um, so. he brought it up, and if it's your answer, I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> just police officers bear, Columbus shattered their homicide rate last year. Violence is on the rise. I'm aware of that. We just had two shootings back to back, and it's considered probably a more upscale mall. Um, and just where are the leaders in helping with the community? Everything is not the police officer's fault. It's not mm -hmm. law enforcement's fault. Um, making this community safe, making the world safe, um, raising a generation, raising a generation takes everyone's effort. It takes a village to raise a child. And I believe that because if it is on the parents, but it's on the community too. I mean, I have nieces and nephews. So my sisters, these are my sisters and my brother's children, yes, but I as their aunt, I'm a part of their life. I am an influence. I told my sister the other day, I don't need you to, to um, get to check my nephew if he's doing something crazy. And she just started laughing. I'm like, no, it's the truth. But it, um, just as believers, as people, become that village again. Stop. Become an influence on the kids, mentoring our youth because they are the future. Um, that's where it really needs to start. And I'm kind of stealing it because of what you said the other day. Yeah. No, no. Uh, well, it's just my answer is kind of a two-part answer. So, uh, like Kara said, we both 
have the privilege of teaching community diversity to our new recruits. And why that class is so important is we're not all the same. We don't all come from the same background. We don't all have the same belief systems. Um, we are all different. What we tell these new men and women who are going to be embarking on this job is they're the second. Well, first of all, they are now a public figure. Mm. And because they're a public figure, they're the second most recognizable public figure in the city of Columbus. When you see that white hat and that white shirt, everyone knows a Columbus police officer when they see one. That's why we win so many awards year after year nationwide for the best dress, because it is a very unique look. And um, we are the number two most recognized public figure there is. So you probably ask, who's number one? Do you know who number one is? I don't. Do you know who number one is? Do any of you guys know I'm who number one is? I'm going to guess Brutus. Brutus Buckeye. Oh, okay. She's heard his story. Okay, no, I was a total <laughs> guess. I Brutus Buckeye, right? Nobody will ever beat Brutus, right? Like, right, he is the right. man here. Like, he, That's in true. Columbus, he's always going to be the most notable public figure there is. But in all seriousness... You know, we teach them that you are a leader. And I love what you said, because to be honest, I never looked at myself personally as a shepherd and being in a position to carry on uh, my faith and being a believer and leading by example to other people, whether they are a believer or not, doesn't matter. If I live my life correctly and Christ-like as I should, eventually my light should shine on them and make them a believer or the desire to do so. So we have to start learning every time we look in the mirror, like you said, to look at ourselves as a shepherd in the Lord's eyes and carry out our faith the way we should. Um, The other thing I think we, we all need to do as a community is prayer, right? Pray. I mean, how many times, again, I don't care what church you go to, what your denomination is, the root of faith is prayer. Like, we talk about social media and how toxic that is. Sometimes watching the news or things that are all around us are all very, very negative. Like, in the news world, the first eight minutes, it's called the A block. And what do you see in the A block like we talked about before? Yep. Rapes, murders, homicides, fires, child deaths, car accidents. Why? Because we're all human, and it's human nature to want to know about negative things. And we really need to focus on the devotional time. Like, I love the fact that she makes sure she carves out time in her day to devote strictly to the book, to prayer, meditation, whatever it is. We have to be rooted in prayer. And until we all get back to that and, and instead of spending 15 minutes on Facebook, how about you spend five minutes there and you spend the other 10 minutes a day devoting your life back to Christ, to the word, to the book and, and getting yourself back in that faith base. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to give you the last word before I actually have the last word, but <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to, to say or express even as a reaction to what uh, James just said? No, I just appreciate you having us here today. And um, as an officer, it has as a been an interesting year. As a mother, it's been an interesting yeah. year in teaching. Um, I've tried to make a point to have my son sit down with me sometimes, and because he's a teenager, and his interest level, even in things that I find is 
because sometimes can be lackluster and frustrating. So even as a mother trying to teach my son what's going on in the world and educate him so he has an opinion or at least an understanding, um, it's been trying. And even about my job, because I've asked my child, um, how has my job affected your life? Are you embarrassed that your mom is a police officer or things like that? And he says no. Mm. And um, and I'll try to make sure that I make sure I have those moments with him. Like, we love Family Feud. And if you come to my house somewhere between six and seven, you're going to catch us watching an episode. <laughs> That's like our thing. So, um, you know, just making sure as, as COVID hopefully dies down that we start mm. to get back to making time for each other. And it'll be interesting to see as the churches start to open back up. Hopefully the seats are filled. Um, and people start coming back and don't get complacent and um, okay with every, sometimes, yeah, we do want to stay home and on Sunday, but that we also are more, are willing to come back into yeah. the sanctuary with each other. Cause I think that's huge and that's important being able to fellowship and be in the physical presence yeah. of one another. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. I uh, really can't say thank you enough. I can't express the respect I have for both of you and your um, colleagues uh, that are out here serving and, and loving our city. Uh, if you have the opportunity, say hello to uh, your local law enforcement officer. Get to know them, recognize uh, who they are, but recognize their leadership and listen to it. And uh, try and give them a hug uh, after you get permission. Probably need to do that. Don't just come up, try and give them a hug. But just, just recognize who they are and how they are serving and loving uh, you and our city uh, together. So with that, uh, thanks for being here and we'll see you for the next episode.